My name is Luis Nunga. I am a serial entrepreneur. I have a food business called Antis iFoods. And what we do is we have um, packaged African cuisine um, pastries. And then I have a beauty business, a hair braiding business, which is a mobile app where you can come on there and book an appointment and we come to you. And I'm an author, a speaker, a mom, and a business coach. So I'm a little bit of everything. Hey, it's Kellen. And today on Diversified Game, I have my friend. I've had her on before. And Luis is going to give us the game on what does it mean to do business and whether it's conferences or, you know, creating other companies or finding factories in other parts of the world. Just give us the game on that because she just came from the Dubai Expo and I had to tell her while she was in Dubai, please make sure you let people know on social media while you're there so they don't think you're just an Instagram girl in Dubai, <laughs> uh, you know, because a lot of you uh, male and female give me those comments. You're very right. uh, biased. When it comes to women, especially African black women in Dubai, trying to enjoy their best life and think that everybody is a 304. And um, that's not the case. There are a lot of them there, especially in the church house and in politics and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I went there. <laughs> let's, you know, let's this is talk early. about it. This is early, Kellen. Slow down yeah, a little bit. You went there yeah. directly. <laughs> Yeah, I got I got to talk about man, you know, some first ladies and some deaconess too, and then they don't have to go to Dubai. They go to Italy. Uh oh, I just told on some of them. Sorry, uh, but let's let's give the game. Um, tell us about your trip in Dubai. What did you learn, and you know, how did it go? So I went to three countries. Actually, I think we're going to be discussing a little bit of. Togo, um, Lome, Togo, Accra, Ghana, and then I ended up in Dubai. Um, but uh, it was actually very fun. It was beautiful. It was relaxing. It was um, very interesting to just see how, um, I want to say, another country that has a totally complete different set of belief system than we do here in America um, and how they just go about their daily lives. So it was very interesting. But I did take notes down about each country, and I'm just going to give some tips on what I kind of took notice of as an entrepreneur, as a businesswoman. And I was kind of doing my own Christopher Columbus type of situation, minus the trying to steal people's land stuff situation, <laughs> but <laughs> trying to figure out like how, um, what other opportunities are there um, for a business owner to explore outside of America. So I tried to at least visit some countries in Africa, West Africa, and then tried to also do Dubai. Okay. Now, you know, you threw in Togo. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know, you know, Ghana. as an Anglo, uh, yeah, in Ghana, but as, as an Anglophone, I know your, your French is, mm -hmm. um, how was your French? How did it My match French up? Absolutely magnifique. Okay. So there's, there's no, no barriers. Right. No, many people look at Togo and they say, what a small, beautiful country. I'd love to go, but you know, I don't speak French and my mm -hmm. French is terrible. Mm -hmm. um, would you say that you need to know French in Togo or, or need a translator if you want to do business there? Absolutely. So that was one of my cons that I had on my list is the fact that it is a French speaking country. Um, I had the advantage because I come from a bilingual 
country of Cameroon. So I'm able to um, maneuver easier. It still was a little bit difficult because of course I don't speak French every day. So I still had to kind of get help with certain translations. But for the most part, most people even there are also struggling to learn English. So even the low income people there at least know um, a few words here and there. A friend of mine who is um, Anglophone is married to somebody from Togo and he speaks fluent you know, English. And most of the people there are not completely um, where they don't know even little words on how to function in English. So, because the world knows that English is the main language that you need to you need to learn if you want to really um, succeed in anything. You have to know some level of English. So it is a barrier, but there's ways to go about that. It wasn't the good outweighs the barrier of them not being an English speaking country. Okay, and and compare you know Togo to to Ghana because you know everybody. I mean, there's over five thousand Black Americans in Ghana, and then for all the Black Americans who haven't had a chance yet to go to the beautiful Ghana, they say, "Oh, I don't know if I want to go there mm -hmm. because you know it's too many of us." And people say all type of things until they get to go, and then you mm -hmm. know your mind can change. Mm -hmm. So you know, compare. Is it easier to do business in Togo or in Ghana? Ghana, where Ghana, we know you have to have a, a partner, mm -hmm. you know, are you, you'll have to go grab one of those Ghana must go bags and get right. out if you don't have a partner. So right. uh, yeah, talk about the differences. So that was a beautiful part about me um, really going to three different countries, literally within six weeks and really comparing and really seeing um, the little, cause you can only do so much research online, especially if you're trying to study something in Africa. We don't document a lot of our stuff back home. And so you can't really um, go by what you see on YouTube or what you see online. You have to physically go there and experience it for yourself. Um, and what somebody else sees may not be what you notice as well. So for me, a lot of the things that I noticed to another person might not be important, but to me, it was very important for me to relate it to my personality, to my way of doing business. So that was very important to me. So for me, I landed in Lome, Togo. And like you said, people think of Togo and um, they think, hey, beautiful, small country, right? And when they say small country, you will think that, oh, it's so small, you know, maybe there's not a lot of opportunity, maybe it's not really you want to think of the big Nigeria the big Ghana and all of that but I was so blessed that I actually started in, in Lome Togo because as small as it is it's so much more um uh, it has so much to offer that I think is underrated right so for Togo number one flight tickets to Togo was very cheap it was about six hundred dollars for me to get a ticket a round trip ticket to Togo um the cost of living is so low it was about forty dollars a night to stay in a three-bedroom American standard home with gated in a gated community right? And to rent a car, you know, was, you know, very, very, the cost of living was amazing. And then the country is so clean. Like I'm telling you, there's a trash can on every block in public. Like, I don't think we don't, not that I don't think we don't even have that in Cameroon where there's no littering, there's no, the country is safe. And then there is a police um, uh, 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 on every street. Like it's just so um, orderly and they're not pulling you over talking crazy to you. They're pulling you over with respect. You show your paperwork, you go ahead. You don't have to bribe them for the fact that they pulled you over, right? And then the people are so honest and so hardworking. Um, I used my driver 
in Togo and compared it to my driver in Ghana. And it literally was an explanation of the people. That was what I used to compare the culture of the countries um, that I was dealing with. But in Togo, they, if they say they're going to be there at 8, they're going to be there at 7.50. There's so much honor. Um, the people are so, so direct and honest and welcoming to outsiders. Um, and, and they're hardworking and they're simple. And the pace there is very slow, especially for me. I don't function. There are people that can function in fast paced um, places where traffic is high and it's fast paced. Like some people can function very well in New York, but for my personality and my way of doing business, I knew that I needed somewhere that was slow paced that I could catch a breath and take my time and actually uh, 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 um, do a thorough um, process to be able to do what I need to do. So I like that it was slow pace as well. The shipping port in Lome, Togo is one of the best in West Africa. I mean, it is huge. When I drove past it every time, I was just amazed at how huge, you know, and, and, and orderly that it is. And then also COVID, with this whole COVID situation, Togo was the cheapest that I had to pay for, you know, testing because, you know, every country right now is trying to make extra bread off of this whole COVID situation. I mean, it's just ridiculous just to get tested. And if they know you're traveling, that just makes the price five times more, you know. Um, so with Togo, it was literally $50 for testing. It was just very simple, straightforward. If they say you're going to get your test the next day, you got your test the next day, even before the time that you expected. So I just really like those little things um, that was major to me. And the fact that Togo was right next to Ghana, like I didn't have to buy a ticket to go to Ghana. I snuck into Ghana. Okay. Don't tell nobody. But <laughs> it was literally, <laughs> if you want me to give you some videos about me sneaking in on a bike, I can send you that for you to show the people, but it was an experience. I'm like, this is it. Like it's literally a five minute walk on the border from Togo to Ghana it literally, they're right there. Like there is one security guard just there who you can, you know, if you know people that know people, you, you get away with it. But it was literally a five minute drive um, on a bike or on foot. When we came back, we literally walked and crossed the border. When we're going, we got on a motorbike and crossed. But it was so nice that Ghana was literally right there. And so it's easy. The borders were not open then. They have since then reopened it this um, past month. So I like that it was next door because it's like, okay, you can maybe go do business in Ghana and still come back to Togo or stay in Togo and do business in Ghana or have, you know, the best of both. So that was what was great about Togo. And um, what was great about Ghana was that Ghana is very, very busy, very advanced. So let me not say Ghana as a country, but Accra, Ghana, because I went only to Accra, Ghana. Accra is kind of like New York. Everything is fast paced traffic is ridiculous. Um, uh, uh, um, it's advanced. They have every, almost, I mean, I want to say almost everything that we have here in the States, they have it there in Ghana, the big supermarkets, the products that we, we use here. So you can actually have, you know, an American standard life um, in Ghana with no problem as compared to in Lome, um, Togo, where uh, uh, it's not as advanced as Ghana. And then with Ghana, you know, they have their own shipping port too, because I was looking into which country had um, the best shipping port for my products if I wanted to open a factory there to ship my products here. So Ghana, for my research, has one of the best trusted um, shipping ports. So when they're, when, when the, um, when shipment is received here in America from Ghana, they don't take too much closer look 
added. They trust it more than they would any other country, more than especially Nigeria. Sorry, sorry, Nigerians. But they don't <laughs> go into details with making sure they look everything from what I heard from my cargo um, cargo people. So Ghana was very good with uh, the shipping as well. And then the fact that it's English speaking, right? So everybody speaks English, even though really they still mostly will speak, you know, tree and, you know, their language and whatnot. But for the most part, everybody speaks English. So it's easy to, to function there as an American. And then um, diversity in nationalities is amazing over there. I mean, you see Lebanese, you see, just like you said, Americans are there. Um, Jamaicans are there. It, the diversity is just, just amazing. But I don't want to go too far because so I got to go to the cons, but you let me know if it's time to go to the cons about both countries. Well, you can definitely go to the cons. I was kind of chuckling when you said, sorry, Nigeria, but they're used to losing, you know, <laughs> not they're not going to the, you know, World Cup like uh, Cameroon, uh, you know. And, well, and, and once so, Cameroon, you know, for, you know, we, we you're on top right now. I'm, I'm, I'm liking that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know Senegal. I hear you saying you got something for it, but chill out, relax. First beat Croatia and Serbia and all those those things. Um, well, you can definitely educate people on the cons because, you know, we don't want to make Africa seem like it's heaven or nirvana, even though we love to, you know, go there and do business and hopefully live. Uh, but yeah, give folks the con. So we give, you know, the full 360, you know, perspective. Right. So the cons for to Lome Togo was that um, for me, especially in the food industry, I realized that there was a shortage in food in agriculture because the land is pretty much almost, I want to say, deserted. It's not very fertile. So a lot of places full of sand. I mean, if you see pictures from Togo, um, it's full of sand since they're so close to the beach. So I did notice going into the markets and stuff like that. Um, the diversity in food was not really there. Um, they're very simple and just you know, what they have is what they have. Um, and then of course you're French speaking. So that's a disadvantage as well. But again, you can get around that. And then the population is very small. There's no diversity in the population as well. Like not too much, except, you know, the people that are coming in there to import goods and they come in there for a period of time or the ones that own the big, you know, supermarkets and stuff like that. But as far as diversity as compared to Ghana, there was not a lot of um, diversity of um, immigrants, um, unless it was like Nigerians who are next door or a little bit of people from Benin, which is next door too. Um, and then that's about it, the small population, because I think, I want to say, is it 3 million population or something? It's very, very low. So depending on what kind of business you're doing, you have to also take into consideration what your target market um, looks like and the, the amount of money you can possibly make there. Um, the cons about Ghana was that, for me, it was too saturated and too busy and too fast-paced. I mean, from traffic getting in, it was just... There is a, it's like, it's like, you know how people say when you go to certain areas, like liquor store, liquor store, liquor store, like it was just restaurant, 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 you know, super, supermarket, the, everybody and their mama is doing business. I mean, they, they're, you know, it's so busy, so advanced, um, fast paced, um, which is also a good thing, depending on what you're doing in your business. Um, and then another thing that I didn't really like, which I was hoping for, 
it's a change my my perception since I, you know, I have kind of been in the Ghanaian community for a couple of years now was that they're not very direct um, and they're not very intimate with outsiders. Now on the surface, they're welcoming on the outsiders, but I have um, family that lives there who are Cameroonian that went there for work and they were just expressing how they've never had one of their Ghanaian's co-worker visit them. They've had their Lebanese co-worker. These are doctors who are you know, well-to-do, beautiful house and everything. And they've been there for years and they've never had, and they've invited, they've had parties, they've had dinners, you know, but they've never had their Ghanaian um, co-workers or friends visit them or accept their visitation. And they as well have never been visited, you know, invited into their Ghanaian co-workers home. So everything was kind of surface and not very intimate. And I realized that that's something also with Ghanaians where it's like on the surface, they're open, but um, they have their guards up with outsiders, which can be very detrimental to somebody who is seeking knowledge and somebody who is seeking advice and direction. It can be very difficult because then unless you have somebody um, that you partner up with, like you mentioned before, you can't even do business there unless you partner up with, with a Ghanaian as the face of the business before you can really register your business, which was shocking to me because with the 400 return slave something thing, I thought it was so easy. You just go there and they're giving everybody passports or double citizenship and you can just register your business and it's just that, that but it's not what it is. You On the surface, it was something else. And then, right. you know, it, it, it was great PR is what right. it was. Right. Uh, kudos right. to Ghana mm-hmm. for their PR. But you know what that could be? And it could go back to the old thing. I, I could understand why somebody from Ghana would not want a Cameroonian in their house. Mm-hmm. I, I could really understand it. You guys say, under, yes, because they don't want a Cameroonian coming there judging that jell rice and showing them what it's supposed to really taste like. You know, hold on, let me, what's, what's wrong with this right, rice? I, have to disagree. <laughs> I like me some Ghana jell now. I, it, I really do. It, it does not compare. And you're being nice if you, you're not just being nice, you're almost on the border of losing your Cameroonian passport passport because there's a reason why Ghana and Nigeria always battle each other. They don't want any smoke with Cameroon or the originators, Senegal, I got y'all. Oh, Senegal, ooh, yes, yes, That's tough. Senegal is number yeah. one in my books. But I do like Ghanaian Gajala. I don't know if I was just trained because, you know, I was in that community for so long, but I do like it because with theirs, they add all the condiments and the, you know, the, the salad, the, the, the spaghetti and the, you just, it's just different for me. I guess because I'm used to, you know, you don't ever know what you got at home. Until you just, well, well it's better. My, you know, you know why you like it? Because it's better than the Nigerian. Uh, you know, that's why. And 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 that's not even a debate. Hey, Nigerians, you can do a lot of dishes, but that's not the one that you get to win on. You know, hey, I'm getting pepper stew. I'm gonna get the. I'm not, the I'm not joining soup. you in here. I mean, <laughs> Nigerians are my number one um, customers for my product, okay. so I am not joining you on that. My Niger people, we are together. Okay, your jello is still on top. It's okay. It's still yeah. On top. 
she sure has. It, hey, you gotta say what you gotta say. I, I, you know, I, I love my super eagle. Some of that blood is in me as well. But when it comes to a real foodie and a sous chef, um, mm -hmm. somebody you know who really takes food serious, and why I tell you, your puff puff is mwah, it's delicious. But yeah, it just it doesn't it doesn't compare. But I'm glad that you enjoyed the times and the laws can always change. And there's always ways to find partners. If you really want one, we could find one. But to me, it's dangerous when you have to have a partner because the wrong partner, as you know, as in life and in business can really ruin your business, you know, if they have a meltdown or, or something. Right. So in Dubai. Did you see any cracks in the game where, wow, I think I could maybe start a business here right. or a factory? How, how was it there for that? So to, to kind of complete the Ghana situation, because you said something very um, pivotal, is that, you know, yes, we understand um, the setting of the boundaries because of, of whatever reason, culture and stuff. But and I don't think it's something that the laws can change because it's more of a cultural thing. So even if the laws were to change and whatnot, it's still very hard for an outsider to easily break through. Even if they were giving business license to everybody, you still don't live there. You would still need the locals to help you to know where to go, where not to go, what to do, what not to do. But if the locals are not very direct, where like my driver in Ghana, hey, be here at 8 a.m., uh, I don't hear from him. I call, call, call. I literally had to chase him down before he got there four hours later and was like, oh, traffic, traffic was so bad. I'm like, I know traffic is bad, but not four hours later. And then come to find out he was doing something totally different, you know? So with little things like that, it can set you back in your business because imagine if that was a delivery or a delivery truck that was carrying my product and you say, I'll be there at eight. And every single day there was an excuse, you know, meanwhile in Togo, if they said I'll be there at eight, they're there at 750. So for me, it was the cultural, um, they're not inclusive culturally. They're very traditional, very, very um, traditional and are only for their own people that they um, uh, see fit. So with that, it's kind of similar to with the um, Dubai situation, because in Dubai, all the Rolls Royce and, you know, what I'm saying Lamborghinis and all of the expensive cars, most of them were driven by, you know, um, Arabs. There was I didn't see an African or a black person really, really living that high end life. So it's almost like there is a cap, especially if you're an immigrant, especially if you are African or black. You know what I mean? Like the area that we stayed in was considered like, you know, the, the high end area. And then you had to take a, ta a taxi which is so expensive. It's the same price as taking an Uber in America, but you had to take a taxi 30 minutes to go to maybe the market or the low income area and stuff like that. But there it was, it was scary because that one is literally openly, you're not really open. <laughs> They're openly not very openly welcoming, if that makes sense to black people, if that makes sense. Well, no, it makes sense. Unless you're a tourist. Now, if you're a tourist, you're coming to spend money. Absolutely. No problem. Um, but as far as me really comparing success with Black people, all the Black people that I came across, especially the African immigrants, you know, they all stayed in one location. They all kept their heads down. Most of them were taking the the metro, you know, uh, train, which I took, which is beautiful, by the way. Their metro station is, oh, my God. It was, I felt like I was in a limousine, mm -hmm. you know. So for me, Dubai is a little bit sketchy as far as registering a business there because they also have the same rule as Ghana. 
you have to be in partnership with somebody um, who is Arab to be able to start a business there. Um, we visited, you know, some African uh, grocery stores. I didn't even know they had African grocery stores. That they have some African grocery stores. We visited Kiza restaurant, which is amazing and beautiful, and the structure and the order was amazing. Um, but it's very, very time, and which was surprising because they say sixty percent of their population are immigrants, either from India or Malaysia or Africa and stuff like that. So the Arab is actually a smaller um, population, but they live they live they live in the best life, you know. So for me, that was a little bit. Mm. Well, yeah. well, I understand why Ghana and other countries why they do. I mean, I read the book Ghana Must Go, and you know, I can understand why now we're doing good. You're just not going to come over here and just exploit us, you know, everybody, because there are many Black Americans who are winning out there. I've interviewed some, you know, especially prior to COVID. They are winning. They've done what they've needed to do to get there, to get businesses, whether it was get married or, you know, find partnerships. And, you know, the men really win when they can go get married to a woman there coming from America and actually get somebody um, like Cam Newton said that will let you lead. <laughs> I'm being funny, y'all. But because um, uh, can't nobody let you do nothing if you're a real leader. Um, right. You just lead. But yeah, so but they surely, you know, may listen more on the surface, especially after that bride price is paid. But uh, <laughs> but now with, you know, your travels, mm-hmm. Will you know, I'm glad we're talking about it. Do you have any plans on blogging about it, putting it on your own social media? And you could always put this on your social media. You know, I'm well, gonna I go kind of yeah, you know, I'm gonna go left field. So I don't know right. how much how much of this you like, right. man. I'm not trying to have everybody know that, Kellen. But um, but you know, uh, w- 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 how are you going to like take the next step from what you learn? What's your next action that you're gonna take from everything you've gathered? So for me, that that those trips, I'm still marinated on everything that I learned. And I actually, you know, tasted different um, uh, food products that I'm like, oh, this would be good to be a product. And and then I visited different food manufacturing um, companies there to compare like how they look, what is your process and all of that situation. And I'm just chewing on it. I think for me is that I had to compare which country would be like a second base for me in Africa. And so far Togo is looking pretty nice. Um, And so that's what I really wanted to know is that if I decided um, to open a business, where will be the safest place or the easiest place for me to start and then expand from there. And I think for me, Togo is easier. Cost of living is low. Tickets are low. Ghana is right next door. Burkina Faso is right there. Africa is like everything is, you know, within reach. And then Ghana is amazing for distribution because they have the population and the diversity. And for my products, for an advanced product, Ghana would be more open than um, Togo. So with that information, I'm actually just trying to marinate on it. And then um, just because some things you have, but not for the season, you have it for your phase two. So the phase one was going there doing my research and then phase two would be okay. Now in this season, we're ready to start, you know, a second branch in Africa and we already have the information firsthand. You had said something that my kids had said when we were getting our citizenship in Sierra Leone and and never forget Sierra Leone is not too far from any of those places too. 
but you talked about Togo being so clean. And my kids were like, when they were asked on radio, which one do you like, Cameroon or Sierra Leone? They're like, Sierra Leone, it's clean and this and that. What do you think Togo is doing to keep their streets clean? Because, I mean, don't get it wrong. If you go to Bastos, hey, everything is beautiful, right? And picked up, which proves that Cameroon can have clean neighborhoods. But what is Togo doing that Simeong, is not doing that, you know, much of Yawunde is not doing to keep their streets clean. It's so simple. Literally, it's so simple is that they have trash cans on every corner, literally on the road. You will not walk a few feet without seeing a public governmental trash can. First of all, it makes it easier. And then I think they're at an advantage because there's, there's not a big crowd. So, you know, when somewhere is crowded, you can only, you know, unless you really, really keep things in order, it can kind of get a little bit um, uh, off, off guard and whatnot. But the fact that they walk at a slower pace and then there is availability, because in Cameroon, there's no trash. You, you literally will be looking for a trash can to throw your stuff. It's, it's that simple. So I think if we have more trash cans by the roadside that and then they clean. So every evening they have a cleaning crew that cleans the streets. So that's it right there, because you can have the trash can. Somebody has to pick them up. Mm-hmm. You know, someone has to pick the stuff up. Mm-hmm. And it's a problem, especially throughout West Africa, even in Burkina Faso. There's a video out there by uh, Letitia Robb, and she's organized a cleaning crew mm-hmm. while they're cleaning. Someone who's cleaning also trashes something. on the- She's like, no, we're here to clean. And you just do. I mean, it's like. You know, and so, okay, so there, there it is, y'all, because that problem, it impacts tourism. It impacts the perception of Africa, even the children. And right. it's like, you know, you, why can't this place be clean? And Sierra Leone is, is, is much cleaner than, than Cameroon um, <laughs> until you get to the, my favorite part, that Southwest, Limbe, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where you can find me. Something about the English side, <laughs> um, they, they understand it. Hey, go to France, you guys. It'll make sense why the French side and, you know, some French countries, right. some are, are like that. But I'm glad now, to hear that about Togo. You said something so good right now because it's like those little things are very important for the growth of the country, for tourism, for which brings money and economical growth because Dubai did an amazing job in selling their country, okay? Mm-hmm. Dubai is not cheaper. It is more expensive. Dubai does not have, you know, uh, 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 I don't know what to say, but it was it's too overrated. It's, it's not that serious. It really isn't. Um, I was disappointed with the pricing of stuff. And then the fact that I came, like I bought some things and I went on Amazon and it was cheaper to order it from Amazon Prime in America. A, a, a lot of stuff, not even just one. I was pissed. And that's because also they don't have any regulation on pricing in the markets. It's just like Africa where everything is bargainable, which can be a good thing if you're really good at bargaining and you know your price point. But for somebody who's coming there for the first time and don't really know what things are supposed to cost they at my money good they they did really <laughs> good the first few days and then the fourth day i was pissed and i went in there wounded okay because they're telling you no this is the quality here is is better but it's not it's the same thing so they've done a great job at advertising and promoting t- tourism where even with gold you know like gold uh the gold market and all of that it's not that it's so much cheaper 
than buying gold anywhere else. It's just that they're really hyped, you know, everything in Dubai and they have it looking beautiful. It's beautiful. You come there and it's like, I felt poor in Dubai. Okay. I, I, I felt real. I felt like I was from the ghetto and mm-hmm. I ain't got no money. I ain't got no business in Dubai because everywhere is high rises and Rolls Royce just passing the two door one, not even, you know, the two door coupes and the I, cars. I, you know, it's just, they got money. So they make you feel broke and then you spend more money and then you leave, but you can't really make that amount of money back in Dubai unless you're coming in to buy. The only thing that is cheap in Dubai, let me set the record straight, is the kaftan clothing. Mm, okay. You know, the women, the jewelry, clothes one, and the men, the long, the, the dressing. Everything else is almost the same price or even more than buying it in America. Well, you know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like Dubai. And America has this too, but I call it the Whole Foods effect. Whole Foods can get the same food from any other grocery store or PCC market where an apple is going to cost you $3 and up, you know, one apple folks, but it's the way that they make sure that stuff is washed off. It's glistening when you come in. It's organized. Unlike when you go into a Walmart where you can't get help. Mm-hmm. If you can find somebody who works there, they don't know what's going on. And places like Whole Foods, everybody knows where everything is at. And they're so just helpful. And they want to help you because uh, they want you to spend. You know, you come out there with two items for 25 bucks, yep. one apple and one banana. Um, but it's organic. Same thing so, with Amazon. Yeah. It's good. Then again, we call it, you know, in the business world, hey, that's good. That's good marketing strategy or good business and whatnot, because Amazon for vendors is a beast. Now, on the back end, as a shopper, love Amazon. As a vendor on Amazon, I don't like it. But we'll force because of the hype and because of the, you know, the the, well, the advantages of being on there and getting that credibility. But since, since you're going to share this with the audience, I'm going to tame the tongue privately. We'll have a conversation about that because Amazon can do no wrong. Um, but the vendors have to understand, and sometimes you have to people hire consultants for that. Sometimes Luis and I have found some things a consultant can't even handle, but there are certain things in Amazon that when you want to go with Amazon, yes, you could do it by yourself. Why don't you book a time with us, a paid time, pay it before we get on the line time and let's talk about your Amazon journey because Amazon is doing things that 15 years ago, we wish we could have had them do mm-hmm. for certain companies. But again, Amazon, it has its, it, you know, six years in Seattle, we found that Amazon is like, thank you. Because even like the Amazon stores, I don't know if you've been in one yet, if they have them oh, through Atlanta. Amazon has stores that people don't even have to be in like and you can don't need cash. But that's the beauty of when you're in Seattle and you see what the future is going to be. And the only other place you can really do that is maybe New York. Somebody say California. But I say you really need to be in Europe to see how the future is, because I remember us running for that bus in London years back and getting there. Okay, we want to take the bus. We got our change. We don't take money on the bus. Everything is contactless. Mm-hmm. You got to have it on your phone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I love that because it shows us your your America follows everything that Europe does anyway. So I just throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Give us some more game on, you know, just things that you learn, takeaways, things people might be able to, hire you for for your consulting to say yo 
I actually need more help in that. Um, what's it going to cost? And, and can I pay in cash? Our kind, you know how our folks can be sometimes. <laughs> can I use my nature's credit card is what I call it. <laughs> oh, I can go somewhere That's with that. That's the way you're but... trying to swipe it and whatnot, but you know. <laughs> No, I think really I've been transitioning what my role is because because I have such a diverse um, understanding and gift and I've kind of dipped my hands in the beauty world and the food game and the entertainment and all of that good stuff. It, it, it got a little bit confusing as to what exactly my one thing or one sentence is, but really what I help people find is how to monetize your gifts, how to find it, and how to really um, pick up the simple thing in what their gift is and then how they can turn that into a business. But really, really, my strong, strong suit is really product development. I just discovered that a few days ago. Ah, that makes sense. I think that's a better word to say than just business coach. But I think product development is one of my gifts, even if it's a service development. So creating a product out of an idea that you have or a burden that you have or um, uh, uh, um, a business that you already have and you want to create a product or service to add to it. That's something that I'm really, really, really gifted at. Um, and I just keep producing it. As long as I'm creating a new product, I'm happy. So I think that's really my, my strong suit. So you can definitely hire me for us to create a product or a product line. I've done it for my companies. I've done it for the hair business. We have our own braiding here. We have our custom slippers. We have um, custom tools for the food business. I have to stop myself from creating more products till I sell what I've created. So I think that's my strong suit well i've told you before that and we talked about this years ago you like to create and you can put the system together i think the the marketing piece because of course you need money for everything right but where you really i agree with you where you really enjoy is the creation of the product where a lot of people struggle with that right. say wait you might give me the ingredients but i still don't know how to put that in a bag right. and then i don't know how to put the picture on the bag mm -hmm. where you know and so yeah definitely louise can help you create the product and then when you guys again want to put it on amazon i am um, i want you to give me a call Mm -hmm. because I want you to not, you know, give Amazon a full crate or box and then they dis it disappears mm -hmm. because it wasn't done properly. You know, I, I'm talking about Luis's first time on Amazon, y'all, just so it you was know. Missing yeah. Five cases, okay? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to make it very, very clear um, and let people know I don't just talk about my business, but I talk about everybody's experience because <laughs> we can because we can learn. Because right. for me, if I had them five cases, oh, we're going to make sure we get our cases. You can ask any of my guys in Havana. We've never missed a boat. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we, we don't we don't miss a package mm -hmm. um, at all. And I know somebody saying Havana. I didn't know. You know, you're not supposed to know. You know, y'all no say you only know if you know. But it, it is what it is. Um, I love it. I love it. I don't want to overload the people with game. Mm -hmm. But if there's anything that I missed that you want to share, feel free and make sure you remind them where they can find you. Sure. You can follow me everywhere um, at Louise Nunga YouTube. I have some great video and content on there. And then my Instagram, I post on there more. Facebook, not so much, but I'm also on there as well. Um, 
I would have to say to anybody, because a lot of us, especially Africans and, and, and Americans as well, that are trying to go do business either in Africa or somewhere else, do that first trip that's just for research purposes with no stress, with no expectations, and just go there, uh, find the right time, find a great bargain on tickets, and just go down there and explore. Because it's the little things that really, really got my attention that I would have never thought would be a big deal to me. See, see something as simple as me choosing a country because of the slow pace, because I know I work best in a slow pace. I, I don't work best when things are fast. For another person, it, it might be the opposite. But actually just take a trip. That's what most people do in business or, you know, most of the corporations, even to even colonization. They send somebody in there to just, you know, constantly keep coming and just not doing nothing, but just noticing the environment. Oh, this is what you eat. This is where you sit. This is where you like. And they're not doing nothing for years. But we we just jump and say, oh, I heard so-and-so said, this is the business that's popping in Ghana or in Nigeria. Send $10,000, send $20,000. I got you. We're going to make money off of this. And you jump in it. And that's how a lot of people lose their money because they don't take the time out with no expectation, which costs money. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I need a job to um, make back some of that money because it was an expensive experiment, but it was necessary if I'm ready to go to a global market. So that would be my best advice is find a time, go there, go there once or go there twice and do what white people do and do your research and all of that. Exploring is all that it is. Exploring and then building. And a lot of us want to have things already built before we, you know, take part. And that's not how you become wealthy. Um, it's how you can stay poor or in this position you're in. But, you know, the Chinese, they go explore and they go to the rural places and you never see them, you know, in the city. Of the, right. yeah, in the city. Right. And yeah. they stayed there for a while, get married on purpose. I was like, wait, they get married on purpose so they can, like in Ghana, I heard stories that Chinese will come, they will pick one person in their company to get married to a Ghanaian for the sake of their company moving, uh, you know, to Ghana or, you know, having something to benefit from there. So they're very dedicated and very focused. But we rush into it because of the fear of, okay, it's going to cost me $5,000 to just go explore. That's me losing $5,000. I'm not going to make that back right now. So we operate from a mindset of poverty already because, and I understand we don't have that kind of capital and that money. The bank is not giving us money all willy nilly, but do what you can, but make sure that you strategize and take the time out to go explore. And yes, you're going to spend money that is not going to come back to you immediately, but that's part of building. And that's part of doing business. You do it and you know that God is going to replenish that because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it will come back full circle later on where you get to rip that. Because for me, all this trip, I was able to to connect with somebody who connected me to a huge supermarket in Ghana that would be willing to take my product. So it was worth it. Now it's not going to probably be right now, but I already know, okay, if I wanted to pick some factory uh, country somewhere, I already have an open door that I can definitely um, see it growing. And I'll say, you know, you said, you know, the facts show that we don't get the, the funding, you know, VC wise, but what we have to do is we have to know how to ask, where to ask. A lot of us don't read books before going to VC or angel investors. Again, Seattle spoiled us where venture capital is not our problem because um, we've said no. 
to, you know, um, even with clients, millions of dollars. But the fact is you can't come and say, I need help with my hands out and have nothing to offer. No pitch deck, no business plan. You haven't, you haven't built a true team. So no venture capitalist firm, which Florida funders here in Florida, y'all, if you are in Florida, um, hey, holler at, you know, the application is easy to do, but, uh, you know, I'm one of the small, many, many members, but when I see people go after capital, I see the difference, and if you don't speak the language right. of VC, which is make me, you know, 10x my money at least, um, you're, you're not going to get anything. And, and our, our, our people globally, we want our handout and we want to feel like we're owed something and we're not. Man, I'm going Republican on y'all, huh? But I need to tell you what your daddy couldn't tell you or your, your mother should have told you because they were worried about hurting your feelings. I'm not worried about hurting your feelings. I want you to come up to that level, but you have to. I, I'll tell you, I, I went to a bank one time, SBA loan, many moons ago for a trucking company that I want, I did. And they didn't want to deal with the SBA, but I went to like two or three banks by the third bank. I got somebody who actually knew me from church and he happened to look like me, but he was like, I don't want to go to the SBA either. I'll just give you the money. You're good for it. I know you'll pay us back when you said I paid them back early in three months, mm -hmm. but it's like you have to put in the work and not and, and too many of us. You check your WhatsApp right now. Either somebody died somebody was born and somebody wants something from you to contribute. Get out of here. I don't have to contribute to your life when I'm trying to contribute to mine. Um, I, no one told you have four kids or five or six, you know, um, <laughs> we, family planning is important. So I just throw that out there for those who need to hear that. Um, again, you come to us, Luis is going to be nice. I'm going to try to be as kind as I can, but if I see you making life decisions that are poor, I have to hit you over the head like I was hit over the head. And I think for us, to piggyback on what you're saying, it's very true. I'm, I'm guilty of that as well, and I'm trying to put myself in that position for everybody else, is that what I'm noticing is that and I don't want to make it a, a, a black thing or an immigrant thing, but it does play a lot of factor because we have more distraction culturally as a black people than the average Caucasian person. Um, and it's even more when you're an immigrant and distraction can come exactly what you just said. It could come with the way we were raised thinking about child planning and having kids, the way we were raised that you have to send money back home and you got to work and the way we we're raised in into thinking getting a job is the only way. So it's like there's so many moving pieces that until you find that lane and until you remove all the distractions, my biggest problem is really removing distractions. And they come in small form, big form, medium form, but most of the time it's those small, small things that add up. And then my day is so busy. And then this person called and said, your auntie did this. And this person said, send money back home. I went to, they went to the hospital and they did the surgery the first time and it didn't work out. So the next time, so at some point you have to become selfish. Like there's some phone calls that I'm just like, listen, if the Lord is trying to take you home early, I don't send money three times for that surgery in Cameroon. We ain't got a, 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 a medical system. It's non-existent in Cameroon. So I can't kill myself at this point. So you have to get to that space where you literally sound selfish so that you can actually focus on your purpose because 
you can only go so far away. You can even help people more if you're constantly being pulled back by this, by that, by baby mama, by baby daddy issues, by family, by my mother did this and my father. Like for me, it's it, that that's been you know a very big emotional drain that can be a distraction. And then you're expected to not show it, and you're expected to still work hard, but. We don't have, we have too many things thrown on us that by the time we want to uplift those things to focus and get to the source of it, you know, a person who doesn't have that from a different culture, they know, okay, high school, college, parents don't pay for, you know, your college or parents don't help you, you know, for your down payment for your first house or, you know, they don't told you, hey, have one child or make sure that you can afford, you know, two children by the time in this income bracket, you know. So it's easier to think and be focused and get the time to actually say, okay, I'm just going to focus on just my business proposal. But you can't focus on just the business proposal because clients are not buying the way, you know, marketing needs money and, you know, you still got to pay your bills and you still, you know, so it's, 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 it's a lot of moving pieces that we have to be aware, which is what you're doing is that you have to be aware of those moving pieces so you can be even more determined to remove all those things and do things differently if you want a different outcome. How do you deal with that? Um, you know, and I know I, you don't have to go so deep into the, your, your family, mm-hmm. but how do you deal with people? You know, every time you come from Africa, you make new friends, you got somebody who thinks maybe this is my shot, right? And I can get something. And I know what I say to people, but what do you, how do you deal with it? Because as someone who was born in Cameroon, the expectation is so high. And I have a hundred cousins. I won't say how many siblings, um, but you know, a good amount of siblings on all sides, over 11 on all sides. How do you deal with, with people always expecting, because I'm quick to tell folks, I don't owe you anything. You didn't babysit me. You didn't pay no school fees. Like the people who took care of me that are living are good in life. And how dare you, especially you men, feel like somebody owes you something and you have the audacity to ask me when we don't know each other like that, right? Anything you've done for me, I paid. I, I paid you. Uh, for it. So how do you deal with people constantly coming up, asking for stuff? This is going to help somebody. So you're, you're saying it even a nice, a very nice way. Um, and the way you're saying it is nice. I'm about to, I'm about to be you now. Cause you've turned into me. <laughs> so it's easier to, cause I ghost people. I, I mean, I'm known for it. I, I ghost people, um, that, they just, we're saying the same thing over and over. It's just not, it's, your message is just not going to be read on my WhatsApp. But I noticed that it's not even so much the people that didn't raise you. Sometimes even the people that raised you have unrealistic expectations. Um, and I've had to deal with that where I came to a conclusion that even those that raised me and were there for me and did what they were supposed to do. And that could be even a parent, that could be an auntie, an uncle or whatever, somebody that even brought you into the country or whatever the case may be, because sometimes those are the ones that really, really stagnate us in certain things because they feel like I did this for you, you owe me. And so every time you're trying to do something outside of the norm, it's like, no, you, you know, you have to take care, you have to carry me with you. And, 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 you know, 
one of the great things my dad uh, did got, you know, rest in peace and whatnot. He passed away in 2020. One of the things, the great things my dad did, he really, you know, came to America, traveled the world at an early age. So I guess that's where he got that Western mindset of not setting your children up to carry your burden. And to make sure that his retirement life was his responsibility and to make sure that all he needed from us was to love him back and honor him back. He didn't need us to take care of him. He didn't need us to go pay for a nursing home. He didn't need us to, you know, he didn't want to move in with us and none of that. Like when my dad visited, he would literally tell us, I'm visiting, I'm staying in your house for a set period of time. I can't stay in your house, in your marital home for six months and just stay there and just be comfortable and all of that. So he set himself up where there was that boundary and he know he knew that because if he came and just said, Hey, I'm your daddy and I'm your this and I'm whatever, that's still a burden. Even if it's a burden that we want to carry, it's still a burden that if you carry somebody on your back and you're walking, it's whether you love it or not, it's going to slow you down. So he deliberately removed himself and it was easy to just function with him out of a space of love. And when we did something, it was out of love and no strings attached, but especially for Africans or whatever, that's not, always the case where it's expected that okay at a certain age you're supposed to carry people with you you're supposed to take care of at least a couple of people you're supposed to constantly send money and all of that so for me if i'm not led to do something for a certain people i tell people all the time um everybody is not meant to help a certain i don't know how to put it in words but not everybody's called to a situation as bad as it is. There's a specific group of people called to a specific group of things. There are specific people that God has ordained somebody to take care of because he knows your capacity. He knows it will operate from your space of gifting and it will not be a burden. So for me, I learned, um, and you know, some people might feel selfish, that's okay. But for me, it's like, there are people that I'm called to and those people, when they call me, I answer. And it's not necessarily people that are blood related to me. I got over that whole situation where blood is thicker than water. No, it's not. It, it, that whole situation is just wrong because sometimes it, it'd be the blood that, that yeah. So for me, <laughs> if it's all about the spiritual thing or the energy, as people would say, and the, the, the feeling of a call. And there are some people that are called to orphans that will have a burden for orphans, but they're not necessarily called to take care of their cousin who's an orphan per se. You know what I mean? Like you can be called to a specific group of people or person, you know, I'm called to people that want to do things like in, in, in Cameroon right now, I'll tell you a story. There was this young man, um, um, that was my father's nurse. When I went back home in 2020 to take care of my dad, when he fell sick and I hired him because I, he, he turned for, he was a delivery guy for, um, the food to bring to my dad because he had a stroke and he had to eat specific food. So my auntie would cook the food and she knew a taxi driver that she would use to come bring the food. And every time he would bring the food, he would pray over it. He would look at my dad. He would touch my dad and say, daddy, I'm praying for you. Daddy, you be healed in Jesus name. He was just praying. And I just kept monitoring him like, wow, this is, this is, this is, he had that face of real concern and he's not related. So when Mm -hmm. we needed somebody to take care of my dad, I offered him the job. I'm like, Hey, how much do you make with your taxi? this is okay. I'll, we'll double that. Come take care of my dad. He came, he was amazing. I'm, you know, he came and he did an amazing job. 
something that a family member would not even go to that. Like he did an amazing job. He was dedicated and was not about the money. Like I will be asleep and he's over there. Pray- I'm hearing him in the room praying over my dad, telling my dad kudos, like daddy, you know, cause my dad couldn't walk and eat, couldn't do anything. Like he would cheer him on like, oh my God, you sat down today, daddy. I'm so proud of you. Ah, daddy, you are going to walk. Like he was amazing. Now, this is somebody I've never met before, but guess what? When I went to Togo for the first time ever, I made him a passport and he got on a plane for the first time in his life. And I took him to Togo and Ghana. Two awesome. Years, two years later. And that was the biggest testimony for him. And that, that's what I was like, you know what? Even if nothing monetarily comes out of the strips, I know that I've made a big impact in somebody's life and even in his generation, because that was the biggest testimony for his entire family. Nobody has ever left the country or even made a passport in his bloodline. Okay. So, um, with that, I'm called to that person. Like every time, if he gets sick, I send money. If he needs anything, I send money because I'm called to that. I started a business for him in Cameroon. You know, I would travel. I didn't have to take him with me, but I'm like, no, I'm called to help this person. Now, family members would be like, oh, so how are you going? And I had cousins that were like, I could have gone with you. Like you could have flew me out with you. Like I'm, I ain't left the country either, but I'm not called to you that way because our gifts are not aligning and our need are not aligning because he's literally like that, that, that man prays for me, covers me. Like he's amazing. If I need anything, he's there to solve that problem. So I say this to say that that's the way I decipher that I don't go by loyalty to blood because sometimes the blood is, is, it's not the loyalty of the blood it's the loyalty of the spirit. If we are of the same spirit, we're going to both benefit from each other and it's not going to be a draining issue. So for me, even Jesus said, who is my family? When his mother and his brother were looking for him, he was like, my family is anybody that obeys my, you know, my father. So if we're not obeying the same rules and principles and, you know, situation, somebody going to get hurt. Right. So I go with people that we have the same alignment because it's coming from a place of overflow and you're not draining me and I'm not draining you as well. I hope that really, you know, answers it. So with that, it's easy for me to block somebody or ignore somebody. Cause I've told everybody in Cameroon right now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you fish every month. I'm going to teach you how to fish. You want something out of me. And I told my, you know, my siblings there, I told my cousins, I'm like, bring me a business proposal, business idea. I'll fund it. I teach you how to do the business. I coach you through it. You have a business set for life. Told that to about 10 people. Only this man brought me an idea like auntie, I want to start my own small, you know, grocery store container store in, 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 you know, in the quota as we call it, in the neighborhood. He just wants a little store. Guess what? I made it happen within three months. He has his container store. He can sell his food products and everything. He's the only one that has brought an idea to me. The other ones are asking me money every month. Oh, you know, this month hungry is killing me. Hungry will only kill you. <laughs> hey, you guys. We're, I'm, I'm taking this offline because Luis already knows where I'm going to go with this man no, that she go. had met. I, I, saw, I, I, saw where, I saw him in the um, outfit in togo and i'm like wait who is that with the cameroonian outfit that's him that's him yeah but no i I, you guys have been blessed by the game i'm not gonna do that to my friend i'm gonna take this off air you guys be blessed because you know i'm gonna i I negotiate bride price too on the side y'all share this game with somebody it will change their life hi everyone have you ever been curious about visiting africa Which African country were you interested in? Kenya, Nigeria, Uganda, South Africa, Ethiopia. Which country are you interested in? My good friend, Kellen Cash Coleman, 
came up with a course called My First Trip to Africa that I'll guide you through this process. It's only $20 and in this course you'll learn about passports, visas, vaccinations that you need before you go there, as well as a budget, uh, how much the trip is going to cost. He also talks about what you should pack, uh, what you should take with you, how you should travel on a budget. Did you know that 100 US dollars is worth a thousand South African rand? and over 10,000 Kenyan shillings. So imagine what you can do with $100 back home. I say back home because I'm from Sudan, I'm African, I already know how it's like. I know that you know when you convert Canadian and American money, it goes a long way when you're traveling across Africa. So if you're curious, um, if, if Africa is a place that you've always wanted to go, always want to move there, Kellen Cash is the person to ask. Check out the course, there's a little preview you can listen to um, before you actually purchase it. If you're interested in this course, visit www.diversifiedgame.com. Don't miss out.